0: Well, hey there, I'm Lauren Dimmitt waters and I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who's been covering beauty, style, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all of the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll find the foremost experts to unearth what's new, what works, and even what you shouldn't waste your money on. I'm on the hunt for the latest and greatest discoveries and strategies to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. My guest today is Jim Keen. He is a senior technology executive with an innovative career focused on making healthcare easier by pioneering disruptive consumer oriented health and wellness digital experiences. The consistent theme is creating user delight, loyalty, and retention while fundamentally re engineering the cost of delivery. As the former CEO of Wellness FX, he provided affordable consumer health services, earning recognition as the 2012 Innovative Company of the Year. Keene also spearheaded online health communities as president of Sapient Health at Work, which merged with WebMD in 1999. After WebMD, Jim served as entrepreneur in residence with Alloy Ventures of Palo Alto. With a rich history of scaling companies, he continues to lead groundbreaking ventures, most recently as CEO of Molecular U. Hi, Jim. Welcome. Laura,
1: it's been fantastic being invited to this, and I'm happy to be here.
0: Okay, well, we're going to be talking about a subject that I actually really don't know much about. And I know is something that, at least for people in my age demographic, tends to scare us a bit because we don't know much about it, but it's AI and how it works in healthcare. So let's start with that first, is the first question. AI seems to scare more people in midlife because they don't understand it. So, how can we feel at ease with it?
1: I think so. Just to step back, there's two broad philosophical tracks on AI. And depending which one you stack up with, uh, you'll feel more secure. So the first one is one day the bots are going to 100% re- uh, replace all humans. And you'll have your AI doctor and AIs will make all the decisions. And, and yes, there will be some regrettable errors along the way. But for uh, the AI of that track, Uh, There's kind of what they call acceptable error, right? So 97% is considered really good. And if they can add a percent per year thereafter, say over 10 years to get to 99, that's great. Uh, I fundamentally uh, had to examine that when I was a senior executive at Blue Cross Blue Shield, and I rejected it. Uh, That's still, if you're talking 99%, even, uh, that means one person out of 100 dies from an AI error. So
0: that's a lot. By
1: large numbers, by that, a million, you know, that's not great. There's a second track that I think is more humanistic, and it also has more fail-safe in it, and I, I just inherently gravitate to it. and and that, that's broadly called human in the loop. It means humans have the call. The system is designed around you, and and the metaphor I use for that is, and, and I have a performing arts background, so this is why I gravitated to it, is you're the actor or actress on the stage and you're surrounded by lighting coordinators, uh, sound engineers, maybe a musician uh, in the pit, uh, lines, all kinds of things to make you be the best actor or actress possible. And in the end, you're the one that controls the performance and all the other things are just scaling you. Uh, I inherently like human in the loop for healthcare. It to me means that you consistently enable and, and and to me it's very aspirational right let's say you have a fantastic doctor and they can only see one person at a time but then all of a sudden maybe you're uh, as a doctor you allow people to text and chat with you and maybe the ai is fielding and queuing up answers and questions and uh, giving you as the doctor hey this patient the top three things you should talk about with them is this and you always have that override right but the in that model you also took a really great doctor and spread them and made their lives better, but also made them more accessible to more people. So those are my two broad tracks. So I'll kind of briefly pause there and then we can go on.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think I like your your track you like better as well. I think the that human in the yeah, loop. Totally. Okay, so please explain how AI can help with our healthcare and how is it being used now?
1: Well, I just explained you'd have better service deliveries, so that right. means that you'll have more options. And in this day and age of uh, unprecedented retirement of uh, doctors and nurses, and I, I was on a medical panel literally last week, and they quoted a stat that at least uh, on average, three doctors a day commit suicide. So what? it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really hard job. And it you become more and more of an administrator where you have to stare at a screen instead of practice healthcare. You've got to figure out compliance. Uh, you know, everything that you have to do is not the reason you got into healthcare.
0: Right. I can and see that.
1: You're you're getting the corporization of healthcare too. So a lot of these doctor practices have been absorbed or purchased. And so they're Kind of starting to feel more cogs in a machine and they're not doing what they all really got into healthcare to do is they want to take care of people so spreading that talent uh, lessening the administrative load the compliance load all the things that are just uh, introduce dread boring activities into your life as a practitioner that's great as far as a consumer if you more and more have the ability to train the ais to answer say the basic questions to maybe figure out all right why did my claim get denied can i have a helper bot that that does that for me uh just all the things where you generally sit on hold or try to track down that one person who can explain it i think that has huge promise and then in the r d area there's a lot of potential and and that's kind of where we are focused right now Mm -hmm. so for example there are something like 37 trillion different possible combinations for uh, proteins. Um, So, And protein is what we're all made of. For example, we're a stack of about 25,000 proteins and about 75,000 metabolites, figuring out all the different combinations of those and how they interact. And given that we're all uniquely different people, that's something that's a job for AI that scurries off and toils endlessly trying to figure out all that out and coming back to the brilliant scientist again this the human of the loop human always has the call uh to me that's a really great model because that's going to speed the pace of discovery. So those those are things that make me optimistic.
0: Okay. So how should we be afraid of AI in our healthcare? I mean it, your argument makes me not afraid, but Generally speaking, you know I, I think
1: unsupervised AI is something that troubles me, especially early on While we're I mean literally we just saw chat GPT launch in November of 2022 right. and it's gone through rapid evolution. For example, there's a, a great study that was done in June of last year where the AI re, uh, returns on answers has they, they degrade it. Uh, quite rapidly. It went from something like 95% accurate to the low 70s. When they yeah. analyzed it, they realized the AI had scooped up uh, additional content out there and that about a 10% of it was uh, bot generated. Yep. And so, so that created a phenomenon called a, a poisoned AI. So yeah, on, on one hand, yeah, it's reassuring, right? Because right, right. the the, if uh, an AI starts consuming other AI content, it's not going to do well, and it means that they still need us, I guess, right? Because only God. humans, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're the training set—that that, that spring of pure water that that causes uh, great AIs to form. Um, so I think if there's possible, um, I'd say guardrails, right? You you need to, and and that's why I get back to human in the loop. Is there a human that ultimately has a call? Can you do responsible AI? Is it ethical? Uh, Who considers the ethical dimensions? Um, Yes. You know, do do you really want an AI who still potentially, say, every uh, one out of 100 times has a hallucination? You know, in in healthcare, it's it's pretty mission critical. I put that right up there with flying a plane.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's what you just said, basically that it it dummied itself down. Basically, is I think what is truly frightening, or that it's being used for evil and not good. You know, I think that's the, what I've been well, hearing.
1: Or just kind of the I'd say arrogance or ignorance is uh, not to be discounted either, right? So yeah. a lot of the I mean the milieu I grew up in. Um, since the mid-90s has been Silicon Valley. And so that whole ethos is move fast and break things. And oh, yeah. I'm constantly am- amused. Uh, we in the digital health environment uh, will see periodically some, it's very common story. Somebody gets rich, uh, they they grow their company, they sell it for a you know, billion dollars. They keep half of that. They have 500 million. They're in their late, 30s, 40s, and they say, Oh, what do I do with myself? Well, I'm such a really brilliant guy. I should go bring my talents elsewhere. Look how slow, and maybe they start contemplating their mortality or they have a health issue from working obscene hours. So they say, you know what? I'm really disappointed with healthcare. I'm gonna go fix it. So they get in. And they generally, we jokingly call them uh, you know, digital health immigrants because they right. will come in and they're all of a sudden, oh, well, you guys are constrained by all these rules and healthcare is so slow moving and bureaucratic. And you need to move fast and break things. And so it, it is such a constant pattern that you see with these people coming over. And I, I you know, we welcome them. I don't want to be dismissive, right. but there is a, a little bit of hubris uh, when, when you encounter that. So the whole move fast and break things. I, I don't think it, it works with healthcare. In fact, there's an old joke. Um, what do you call a 50 year old in healthcare? I don't know. An intern. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. That's great. Yeah, I can see that. And so what they just drop out, they come in and they leave. They just got frustrated. And yeah, perhaps. they'll
1: usually do something like decide to ignore some FDA thing, or uh, you know, uh, just any number of things. So very few of those people last or are able to, to make an impact. But if you think about it, healthcare—it's it, a long apprenticeship, right? I mean, almost everybody has an advanced degree, MD, PhD, Right, right. for many years. It's a thousand different industries, whether you're in kidney health or. Uh, Know, prior authorization. I mean, you can go into really specialized right. industries, never heard of that are multi billion dollars, and even healthcare people don't know some of the industries that well. And so, just jumping in and then trying to quote move fast because some regulation seems really strange. Every single regulation out there, it's not like I agree with it, but it probably got created because somebody died. Yeah. So you need yeah. You need to be super respectful about. Why it is. Now it doesn't mean you shouldn't change, but you definitely should look at it so if you have that backdrop with AI, you, you need to have the same care, which is why I'm a human in, in the looper.
0: Well, yeah, I also think like it has the checks and balances too, you know, that you have all bases covered or more bases covered, it sounds like. So how can AI help bridge the gap then between health span and longevity? That's that is a terrible. fantastic question right
1: <laughs> because yeah. in the past
0: 150
1: years you've seen lifespans increase right and yet the proportion of uh, healthy lifespan has pretty much stayed the same yes right and so you don't want to have the last 30 years of your life uh, basically somebody changing your diaper uh, yeah even, I know you, you know, want to
0: age well you don't want to just want a-
1: right. You're right. Right. You want to look good. You want to be physically active. In fact, if you follow, I don't know if you've ever heard of the James Freese uh, rectangularization of aging, mm-hmm. but literally you want to be almost 100% capable in the last week of your life. You have a complete system breakdown and you die. That, that sounds fantastic.
0: Yeah. So, like when you hear somebody die of old age. Like, yeah, that, that's or, great. Yeah.
1: Or just died in a sleep or, right. Right. And, and it was just completely broken and worn out. So there's a lot that you can do on that. And that's actually, I mean, I'm in my 60s. So uh, in theory, I shouldn't be doing a startup giving how much of a, a high pace they are. But I it really, again, I got out of the intern phase for healthcare, so I, I kind of feel like uh, it, I had to come back and I, I knew all these scientists and, and they were the guys who sequenced and led the worldwide metabolome project in proteome and I've always thought those are so key to healthcare, the, the genome to me is just possibility. It's not really actionable. Whereas what's happening with you every day with your proteins and, and metabolites, literally it says, are you tracking to a positive part of the compass because you've been eating well, sleeping well. Uh, if you exercise, you do recovery, you uh, avoid excesses. Uh, you live in an area where you can get pure water and, and air. That's gonna lead to a really superior expression of your functional biology. And you can measure that at the molecular level, uh, both your proteins and, and metabolites. And it's a, it's a wonderful window into what's going on. And the, when I sold my diagnostic company 10 years ago, I decided I agreed to be an advisor for this group of scientists. And so 10 years later, I'm uh, the CEO because they're trying to enter the United States. And, and for the poor Canadians, Looking at the U.S. healthcare system, it's pretty scary and big and complicated. And I just thought this is so worthwhile. I, I could not really not give it a, a try to get it down here and get through the, the complication because uh, it's super worthwhile. And what I see the premise and the, the promise of this is that you uh, can take a really simple, easy, cost-effective test. Uh, our version last year measured 250 of the top... Uh, biomarkers that you should look at to see you know what's happening with your health and we used ai to find those markers so uh that really gave us a shortcut and so it's interesting you there's a stat from a kaiser study that sticks in my mind that in the coming year three percent of the u.s population will suddenly develop a really serious condition and that will account for 25% of our total healthcare expense as, as a country. So Whoa. it's that un, unexpected nature, right? So it means that disease starts at the molecular level, but the current ways of detecting it are super blunt force, obvious, traditional uh, blood reagent type uh, chemistry. And those don't really pick things up until the disease is baked in. And then you have to have more drastic kind of traditional healthcare approaches, but what if you could swim upstream and see molecular changes happening, things that a lot of them are amenable to diet, lifestyle, exercise, mm-hmm. and other interventions. Um, like a victory we had, because I, I consider every, uh, I, I love my patient story, so the biggest one we've had in the past year is we had a five-year subscriber in Canada And she, every year, followed the health and wellness recommendations about how to gradually alter her molecular trajectory. And and she looked pretty good. You know, you look at her heat map of the 250 markers. In 2022, she got her annual test and it came back completely eccentric and different than prior years. It was just super flashy red and strangely, uh, you know, uh, and we'd never seen a pattern like that because when we get that data we form them into risk signatures and they're super complicated we use machine learning for that to decipher it and then we come up with our conclusion and we hadn't seen a pattern like that so our biophysicist uh, analyzed it and came back and said well, we our hypothesis is that she has um, and our conclusion is that she has pancreatic cancer and so we're not doctors but we sent that over to her clinician and, and, you know, a lot of doctors were kind of, wow, this is a big thing. And they,
0: yeah, they yeah. dismissed
1: it, but credit to him, he looked at it, took it seriously, sent her over for imaging. Turns out she had three small little lesions on the tail of her pancreas. And so they were so minimal, she qualified for minimally invasive surgery to excise those.
0: Oh and my God.
1: They, they got them out they uh the pathologist came back and said yeah definitely malignant but really I, I my professional opinion is they just converted in the past 60 to 90 days
0: wow right.
1: so and and she hadn't felt bad or anything right. like that because usually when you hear about somebody who has pancreatic cancer they tell it's you usually when
0: and, they get sick it's too late or it's really advanced Get your right? affairs in order yeah right yeah and and
1: so that was we were thrilled every time we hear a story like that from one of our subscribers, that's really just awe-inspiring. And so we reran her test last summer because we were curious what the markers look like. And they had all reverted back to, to uh, normative values. And, and, I, and I saw so. her at a conference. She's a really capable senior executive at a Canadian health plan. She said, you know, um, I'm going to take this the rest of my life because the person most likely cancer again, if somebody's already had it. So, so stories like that are—I I wow. think how I see it is that you should always—you should know your recipe for your health and wellness. Like, what things are my kryptonite that will start causing my molecular level values to go in a direction that I don't want to see, because that means it eventually it will form disease. And then occasionally life happens, and something does form, and you know catching that, then you route that to the clinician. That's that's my vision in healthcare. Uh, I'd like to have that check-in to be sub $300 or less, and it's something that helps you avoid a lot of biological damage as well as catch things super early. Yeah, catch it middle. early,
0: right, right. Wow, that's incredible. So you say that AI's role is shifting from reactive healthcare to proactive healthcare. Can you explain that? Go a little bit deeper? Yeah,
1: well, just a, I always do best when I do storytelling around individuals, so actually I talk about myself. Um, okay. I have been an advisor to the company for nine years, and so my test that I took before my check-in, before I became CEO, was in March. And we have 26 conditions we grade on a scale of 0 to 100 because they're all multi-biomarkers. It's not single biomarker. And I ended up, I had not a single area in high-risk In fact, all were were pretty good. And my average score is 92.5 out of 100, 100 being the best. So I agreed to become CEO in June. And in August, I took the test. And I, on, for example, dietary health, I'd become high risk. I dropped uh, 47 points. And on Alzheimer's risk, I'd increased, I dropped 33 points. And I had a whole just broad range of decrease in, in my molecular values. Now that's not going to express itself for a while. Right. But definitely just to poke fun at myself, uh, you can tell that uh, being a startup CEO is not good for your health. So things like that, but I will say I'd been traveling a lot. I hadn't been sleeping well. I probably been drinking too much um, and just whining and dining I also know from my time at Wellness Effects, I used to get tested all the time, so I have a pretty good idea how my biology works. Uh, I don't process process folic acid very well, and I hadn't been taking it. Uh, So there's a couple things dietarily that I needed to get back on, and it was a good prompt. Okay, uh, before this gets way out of hand, there's it's time to get get back to business and, and. i can't overcome traveling a lot but i can make better choices when i do and i can make sure that the job doesn't ultimately cause me to have bad health in the next five
0: right years. right
1: so that, wow. that's a concrete example
0: wow but you know more about yourself than the average person so
1: i do i do but we have for example i will say um the other aspect of this data that was challenging early on, since they have gotten to observe the company for 10 years, is you ran, you ran 250 biomarkers, and you've assembled them into uh, more usable patterns, because we're not individual biomarkers, we're like complex uh, biological entities, so that's, that's a breakthrough, right? But then, how do you explain that um, to even a doctor who says, this is way too complicated for me, and I'm going to look like a fool in front of my patient and I don't want to impinge on my professional integrity and so I'm just not going to do it right so part of what we've had to do is not only take the info that we use to find the marker is that we had to take the citations and studies and data to then form that into a, uh, something that enables practice in medicine so that the the clinician and the health professional is comfortable with that and so I uh, was really impressed by the health and wellness practitioner that had come up through the system over the last few years because uh, I thought I, you know, I, I wasn't cocky about it, but I, I did think I knew quite a bit from my prior experience. And, and uh, he was pretty good about reinforcing what I already knew, but saying, "Hey, there, here's some things you need to think about." And and I, you know, old dog learned some new tricks uh, with
0: those consultations. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. And that wasn't, that wasn't AI. That was a person.
1: (laughs) That was a person who got trained using uh, an AI driven knowledge management system.
0: Okay. Awesome. So how does Molecular U assess an individual's distinct blood profile to anticipate potential health risks and catch chronic disease early?
1: So it starts with the so we have two big big pieces of technology that uh, one's AI, one's machine learning, and so the first AI piece is so we're living in this just explosion of scientific knowledge for the last ten years. In fact, there are anywhere between one to two million creditable new pieces of, of clinically validated research that get published every year from the top uh, say three hundred medical and and uh, scientific journals, wow. and so we use our AI to sit on top of those. And it's a wonderful training set because there is almost no potential of poisoned AI because none of that stuff is generated content. So it's 99% pure. So we use that to bubble up, say, a new markers discovered. And then we have a minimum we set that it has to be discovered uh, independently in at least three different parts of the world. If we see that, we'll take that in. And then the tricky thing about molecular testing at that, at, the, at that level um, is that uh, you know, a lot of times, let's say you had two tubes of blood and you ran the panel once and then you reran it later, uh, getting the same result twice has always been what's bedeviled that area and held it back. So um, we've discovered how to make those super tight um, as far as precision and accuracy. So, if we can reproduce the results from those three studies and it, it, they match up, then it makes it onto the starting lineup of our test plate. It's a a well, is what they call it. And wow. so, then we'll currently, our old version had a 250 as of the last year. And then we just uh, have discovered a lot of new markers that have been validated that passed our test. And so, our new test assay has 825. So, then That's our first big piece of technology is the AIs are screwing around, looking at content and discovering markers for us to examine. And and it's a great example of human in the loop, right? We don't Mm -hmm. just let the AI stick it right into our test assay. We actually go run the test against it. So it's a great partnership,
0: right? The checks and balances, right? Yeah. And then the output is the
1: what do you do with the data? And so we form that into risk signatures. So for example, there are 10 validated markers associated with Alzheimer's risk. And so those those markers, we um, have the values for them and we can do the zero to a hundred tests. The thing that's interesting about that too is with single markers, you'll get uh, false positives and negatives, but when you have 10 in there, that actually pretty much goes away. So the interesting thing also by having uh, it's spread amongst 10 markers versus being totally dependent on one is your accuracy goes way up. So we routinely on our Alzheimer's signature, uh, have a 98% accuracy rate about whether you're at high risk for it or not. So those, those patterns are great. So with our new 825 biomarker uh, test version coming out, we're going to busily spend the rest of the year seeing what uh, emergent risk signatures we have we particularly we have five cancers right now we'll probably add 10 to those uh we have a really good autism signature at about 99 percent. so test is just really the uh, beginning of a real golden age of of figuring out kind of multi biomarker insights into how people work
0: okay okay this makes it a lot less scary <laughs> yeah when you yeah, put it like just- that right Right, Right.
1: And and you can see where all the checks, balances, and controls, like the risk signatures when they get proposed. Um, The final call on that is a group of really, really smart uh, young PhDs uh, that analyze that and see, okay, does this make sense?
0: Okay. Oh, that's fascinating. So how should your clinicians and or patients use the blood test result? Like, what do you do once you find out that whatever, your results, what can you do? Well, you get your
1: results and we have a really simple, clean app. We did try to uh, some years ago to go down to this uh, level where we said, all right, we're going to make this super um, explainable to a consumer. Right. But, you know, the, I, I think the thing about healthcare is inherently intimate. And going back, I, I used to work at Blue Cross Blue Shield as a senior executive. And we were running focus groups because we had this chatbot called uh, Charlie. And Charlie was going to answer a lot of healthcare questions for you. And I had this one chat or this one focus group where uh, the it was kind of a an indifferent to angry response to the bot. And the bot actually did a pretty good job. And so I tracked down the uh, the most angry of the uh, focus group uh, people. It's this woman, I don't know, about fifty years old. I said, "Hey, you know, uh, I just want to ask you. Uh, it'd be great if you give me your opinion, but." what was it about the bot that made you angry? As far as I could see, the bot answered your question. She thought about it and said, yeah, you're actually right. I said, so what were you thinking at that moment? She said, I was sitting there thinking I have a serious illness, and I, I, I'm worried, upset, and, uh, and I thought, you know, I deserve a human talking to me about this. And there's this visceral emotional uh, part of the healthcare experience that I don't think you're ever going to get rid of. And so that's what partially propelled me towards human in the elite versus the bot will take care of everything. Yes. So I do think the healthcare professionals, we can continue to arm them with this data so that they feel like, okay, this bot is always up scientifically. If I question it, I know where the citation is. I can go read it myself, but they're shortcutting A lot of uh, the grunt work I have to do to have a a really great relationship with my patient. And then the patient on the other side, um, inherently, I want them to feel comfortable that they'll know enough going into a discussion with the clinician that they can ask the right questions, but it's not all on them to figure it all out. Because that'd be like uh, tossing the keys to a 747 and telling the consumer to go fly it. Um, Yeah, exactly.
0: and, And I just
1: don't, I don't think, and nobody wants that, especially if you're sick, right?
0: Yeah, you can't even think straight. Yeah, I gotta. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. That's that's kind of do you think then that, you know, you were mentioning earlier about, you know, doctors retiring and or committing suicide and that it's not what they wanted to get into healthcare for. Do you think now we will start to see young doctors come in because they gravitate towards this new AI formula, you know, this new aid with AI? yeah
1: what what if you were a a good way to think about it is what if these get so complex they're almost like um artificial employees right right but you're you're the boss and so let's say you had a flock of 30 uh tireless assistants who thought of everything they uh, made sure you're always compliant um, they are always flagging the newest things to be aware of. They don't
0: take lunch breaks. Yeah. No, right. not at all.
1: <laughs> Nobody gets sick. Uh, right, right? right.
0: Right. Um,
1: and, and so that
0: seems pretty inspiring because you just yeah. stripped
1: away and it's, you know, here, just go practice at the top of your license. And you know what? You're never going to look bad in front of the patient. You're going to be super smart all the time. Uh, you'll be able to figure yeah. out the best treatments that are known at that particular point. You'll always be current. Um, you know, I, let me tell you, I, I've studied, I've been in healthcare forever, right? So here's another great study. What you get prescribed as a treatment by a doctor corresponds strongly with the year they graduated from medical school. Yep. So sure. it means you get dropped in there out of medical school and you stop learning and yep. you think about it, your life is these uh, 15 minute segments and then maybe an hour of, uh, you know, going through and writing notes and all the end of the day. When do you have time to research new stuff? You know, know, once a year, uh, two days to CME, that's not going to do it. So there's got to be a better way.
0: Yeah. You know, I think about that even with my graduate degree that it's obsolete now, you know, like. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Things just keep moving and they're moving at a faster clip. So I can see that. Never thought of it that way. That's interesting. Well, you know, it's interesting. (laughs) Yeah.
1: it was interesting though. Um, when I had Wellness effects, it was when the iPhone had just come out, and we decided to start bundling when you got your results as a consumer, because for a while we just thought, oh, we'll just make it totally automated and they'll just figure it out themselves. Uh, it wasn't very good. Um, MPS yeah. score is low, so we decided we're going to bundle in a twenty-minute um, telehealth consult at a really, you know, really, uh, I'd say favorable cost, and. Scores went way up, but then we had another problem. We had to uh, create, we had to deal with this. Uh, how do you create intimacy on telehealth? Because that wasn't really part of the equation 10 or 12 years ago. And so I was in San Francisco. We ended up hiring some uh, people who were in the San Francisco theater uh, and production. And we decided to treat the 20 minute consult as a, a metaphor for a three act play. You have a good, strong opening, you hit your climax, and then you have a really good closing act. And so how, how would you do that? And so one thing we realized is that we needed to arm the doctor coming into the console with uh, the information. Because intimacy actually starts with the first three minutes of chit-chat. And things like, uh, if we could spin up, this patient has uh, three children, these ages. Uh, his spouse is XYZ. And here's a little bit of if if all you did is ask a couple like, Oh, how's so and so doing? The the patient goes, Oh, this doctor knows who I am and they care about me. And and then so we really started almost minute by minute lining it out. And we ended up changing how that 20 minutes was used and our scores went way up. And the doctors mm-hmm. were more satisfied because the patients were, oh wow, uh they really appreciate what i'm doing and the patients are like right, this is the best doctor experience i've ever had so so things like that um you know we would queue up after the here's the chit chat to establish intimacy here are the uh next best actions top three you should be thinking about with this patient and it sounds similar but then we'd also it from a logic standpoint with the uh, technology we queue up uh next issue avoidance so a lot of times in healthcare you let's say solve the immediate problem but it tees up the next problem to be addressed
0: yep yeah oh that's that's really cool so what kind of support do patients get when they take the molecular u test
1: so they get the mobile app right and then they're invited to tee up a session with with a trained health and wellness professional not a doctor um, and then the uh, health and wellness pro- professional reviews the biological data that came from the test. And usually we have a, we're pretty big into functional health. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we actually don't approach the idea of health as an absence of pathology. It's actually, uh, yeah, maybe by conventional measures, you're in the green on your cutoffs uh, or your scores. But actually, how can you continue to optimize yourself? So let's say you, you want to become a deeper green, how do you, how do you do that? So it's, it's all about uh, optimization and and not just saying, all right, you're just, (laughs) you're like just a notch above uh, being in to the medium risk yellow. Let's move you further away from that. So uh, it's a functional health approach
0: and it's one
1: of addressing what's your kryptonite things to be aware of, uh, even if you get a great score.
0: Wow. Okay, so how do the listeners, my listeners, how do they, like, what can they expect? What, how do they use Molecular U? How do we start, like, say tomorrow? Yeah.
1: Um, so we're coming to the U.S., so that means that I have to, um, we have to surmount quite a bit of, of regulation, compliance, and bureaucracy. However, we are introducing it in-market uh, through clinical offices this year. Uh, we've okay. signed... Contracts with neuro- neurology clinics. And the good news is, we've actually been in market in Canada direct to consumer for nine years. And oh, okay. so, if you immediately want to go get this done, we'll uh, go to Canada. Can go to Canada. Maybe <laughs> not this time of year, but.
0: Right, exactly.
1: But it's wonderful in the summer. The days are yeah. a lot longer. Yep. And any in, in metro area, you can go to a draw site and just our website, uh, buy it. You'll get uh, your package. and. It, you'll go in. It'd be a, a tube of blood. Not very big. We don't need a ton. And then you'll get your results. We'll run those. And then we'll send you a note saying, hey, your results are ready. Time to schedule uh, a uh, a session with your health and wellness coach.
0: So when do you think this will be? You don't know because of all the regulations. Nobody can even say. But like, when, when are you aiming to be in the States? So we spent most of the last year figuring all
1: this out. So we are starting to be available uh, clinically this okay. quarter, but as far as um, a you know consumer in the wild, I would right. say the back half of the year because we have to get a pick our lab partner who can run this according to the CLIA standards that the FDA has, and then um, given that we have a pretty con- we run this on a, a set of instrumentation called mass spectrometry, and it's a we have a, we're pretty picky about how it gets set up. It's um, really complicated. And so we need to make sure that's done well. So we're picking our partners right now. And then we're going to um, make it available, uh, I think, through different verticals like you know weight loss or sports performance. And we'll have a list of, of potential vendors um, who are trying to provide the test. And so
0: so someone, someone could like Google molecular you and follow like what's going on as far as in the States and where we are and press releases and news and whatnot. I mean, are people yeah. like, it seems to me, like I would love to have access to this, um, as somebody who would like to age well. Uh, and I'm always trying to find, but you know, I don't know a lot of this is just shooting in the dark, you know? uh yeah no
1: you'd rather go based on what your actual biology is doing at that moment and is there anything you need to pay attention to uh versus kind of waiting for it to jump on you uh, one scary night
0: right exactly so like how if you're canadian um like how much does this cost like how what's the monthly cost to a consumer so you don't at the minimum, you should
1: get tested once a year, and that's pretty good for most people. Maybe if right. you have some some prior risks, twice a year just right. to catch the changes. And uh, right now, I haven't seen our website recently, but I think we're five or six hundred dollars um, USD uh, okay. for, for the whole test. So it's uh, not that much given how many uh, markers get run and all the insight. No, not and, at all. And in right. a way, it helps avoid a ton of other uh, more expensive healthcare later on.
0: Do you think that being the case, then, that insurance companies would start employing this? Is that the goal? Or um,
1: I talked to a lot of chief medical officers from uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield and, and directors, and they the generally, they'll say, uh, it's interesting, but we're not going to pay for it. Uh, right. You know, pre-screening, it's not kind of how we approach things like that. And this, you can't prove it longer term that, that the, say, the self-insured company or fully insured are going to save money. Uh, interestingly, Medicare is uh, the most nimble of all the insurance lines in the U.S. because they're trying to figure out how to deal with value-based care. Right. So one of our clinical groups is um, a Medicare chain of clinics called Gray Matters out of Florida. And they've adopted it, and they're one of our first customers. And they're doing that because they're starting to do a functional medicine program for cognition decline. And they don't have a way of measuring percentage of cognition ability as far as Alzheimer's. But our test does that, and we capture all the comorbidities. Because increasingly, cognition has this link with your diet and your digestive health. And it accelerates it uh, if you have poor digestive health. Uh, And so... CMS is really big on seeing. Is there a way we could do that before we prescribe these uh, kind of moderately effective, really expensive Alzheimer's drugs?
0: Yeah, I would think it would be a a cost savings in the long run if you can catch things early and change course.
1: Yeah, go figure. You know, functional health is better than uh, letting people get sick and then treat them with expensive medicine.
0: I well, I've been a firm believer in that for years now. So you know, it's nice to see other people finally you know, uh, jumping on that bandwagon and saying, you know, I think you should do both. Like, I think it's checks and balances again. It's you like know? the
1: pancreatic cancer patient yeah. example I gave you. She was super diligent and she is, she's about my age. She's in her uh, mid sixties and she is on top of this stuff, but occasionally yep. something just goes wrong. So you
0: and you don't, you, you don't know, you don't know until you're sick. And at that case, a, not, Yeah. Some of those you cancers. You need, you're... you need to
1: be the best you you can be. Exactly. Um, that's health and wellness. Yep. And then if emergencies do happen, uh, then you have a really good functional medicine uh, practitioner who you can route the the bad test to and say, hey, it looks like something's really developing here and it probably needs a stronger intervention.
0: That's well, to I me think...
1: the vision of healthcare.
0: Well, I, I, I'm with you 100% on that. I think the reason that I like having a functional medicine doctor too is because I find that my regular doctor, I feel because they only have 10 minutes with me that everything, you know, they're doing all this administrative stuff. It's like, you have to pay extra for that human, for somebody to care enough to drill down basically.
1: And and they don't get paid for that. Um, Traditional uh, medical reimbursement is fee for service and fee for service is only if you're sick. So uh, yeah. there, there's a couple of blockers on that. In med school, you get one course credit of uh, nutrition. So not really big on nutrition and the same thing with genetics and yep. let alone like protein or metabolite expression. So there's a, and it's not to be critical of. Uh, Western medical training it's just—it needs to be more m- multidimensional. Uh, in Correct. That, That's the why I think you medicine. need
0: both Eastern and Western if you mm-hmm. want to full. Yeah, hundred
1: percent, hundred percent.
0: Oh, this I is compared
1: to owning your health is like owning a house. In fact, uh, I forget who told me this when I was younger, but they said when you're born, you have a two million dollar asset, which is your health, yeah. and if you go along, of course you, if there's a single loose, you go fix it because you don't want water to get in and this and that. But occasionally, let's say a windstorm comes up and a tree drops through your ceiling, uh, then you need a pretty heavy duty contractor. In, and and that's the same, you know, if you have the healthcare tree drop through your ceiling, the doctor has to be there.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think we're all hearing and seeing this happen more and more, you know, you think you're taking care of yourself. There's just so many variables that can just take you down. Yeah. So, and so, line so simplifying up, the com- yep.
1: Embracing the complexity, but then saying, all right, don't worry. We got you. it. It has been uh, simplified and been made manageable, but we haven't dumbed it down so much. that There's no value.
0: Right. Well, thank you. This is fascinating. Thank you for it, myself. I don't know about how, what the listeners will think when they hear this, but I am so much less afraid and more optimistic and sort of excited about this than I was before we started talking. So yeah, really well,
1: I, I think it could be if it's handled right, it could be transformative. But you know, when I was a kid, I, I read dystopian science fiction. It's always kind of my dark, dark yeah. gem. Uh, yeah. Dystopian thing is right, right, right. So <laughs> you know, I, I have thought. All right, what if, like, let's say um, they just adopted this, just like they did the COVID vaccine. They said this is free. And everybody just go get your test once a year. It's only a couple hundred bucks because volume drives the cost down. I want to make it as available as possible, and then we keep expanding it uh, as far as how insightful it is and risk signatures and all that. Um, let's say you you are the person in U.S. healthcare, and it says, "Hey, you have pancreatic cancer for me," um, but unfortunately, the way your health coverage works, they only treat it once it gets to stage three. You know, so I I, I think this will generate uh, pressures. It'll change. It'll
0: change. Right. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah.
1: because if you discover stuff like that, the system should reward you and pay for it.
0: Yeah, of course. And you end up costing your insurance much less money because you're not stage three. You know,
1: there's and because you're healthy uh, and you catch that stuff early society benefits because uh, you're not out of work. And right. you're productive. And yeah, you're, it's a whole trickle you're, down. You're, right. You're the best you, right? So so I, I think there is a different model available, uh, which is why I stayed in this and I, I want to see this work.
0: Glad, glad you did. Oh, now this is really exciting, actually. Wow. Thank you so much. Is I think we, we should wrap it up, although I could talk to you for another hour. Uh is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap it up or?
1: No, just um, so as clear on when we're going to be in market, um, we're trying our best and we'll dot the I's and cross the T's, um, but we expect probably mid-year that we'll be awesome. able to, to make it commercially available.
0: Everybody stay tuned. I will have some links in the show notes so you can do your own research and keep up on what's going on with Molecular U and uh, look for it or head to Canada this summer. <laughs>
1: Uh, But hopefully
0: it'll be here by then anyway. So great. Thank you so much. This has been fascinating. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you for the time.
0: Okay. Thanks, everybody. We are wrapping it up. Uh, If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. I have a new pro-aging podcast bi-weekly, so please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Take care, everybody. And remember, the idea is to live long, but live well. Thanks so much. Take care.